You're listening to Edicts on Edicts, a podcast about Emily Dickinson. Our Lady of Lockdown. <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> what I want is I want like an Emily, because I'm like Gnostic Catholic, I would say. And right. What I would love to have is like an Emily Dick- Dickinson icon. Oh, right. Like, <laughs> give me that Emily Dickinson votive candle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love that. That'd be great. The unholy alliance of like Emily Dickinson and like religious iconography. <laughs> she would be so disappointed. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't think she would like it, but. <laughs> well, speaking of candles and, yes. and all things witchy, otherworldly. Um, yeah, we, we have quite an interesting episode today. Which episode are we talking about today, Carl? So this is episode three of season two of Dickinson, The Only Ghost I Ever Saw, which is directed by Rosemary Rodriguez and written by Elena Smith and Sophie Zucker. Right, okay. I think this was a really fun episode, in my opinion. Um, Could you tell us what the basic plot of the episode was? So we start in church where they're listening to a sermon about the devil. And how mm. the devil could be among us and he could be very charming and we might not know it. And so Emily and Lavinia decide in order to deal with their personal issues, Emily with being published and Lavinia with Shipley and his romantic interest in her, they decide to have a seance to communicate with the spirits to give them guidance. Mm. And so that's where we get into the meat of the episode, which is this like very long seance scene featuring the two Dickinson sisters and a bunch of Amherstians who are just sort of brought in. And it's like the, it's like the young, it's like the young Amherstians, isn't it? It is also Jane noted widow. (laughs) (laughs) I love how it's like, they always have all the requirements of a seance, right? Like they have the medium, they have the widow, They have like all oh, the yeah. crystals and candles. Like it's very like a typical like seancey episode. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of TV shows do do this where they have an episode where they have a seance um, or like For a sure. equivalent. Um, it's quite an American trope, I think, in a way. So yeah, but it, it's good. It's good. It's fun. Um, I will say this episode does also feature my. Again, my secret weapon of the season, which is the Iowa Debery character, whose mm. name is Hetty. Hattie, uh, I think, isn't it? Yes. Hattie, that's right. And she has this like laundry list of things she does. And then she's like, I'm a freelancer. And I'm just like, oh, yes, I recognize this. Yeah, she says, like, <laughs> what's it? She says, I'm a maid, a medium, a washerwoman, a seamstress. I write plays, autobiographical sketches, sing in a quartet. Yep sell my own hair products and create a unique <laughs> line of floral centerpieces. And I love that. Cause it's like, she's like a, um, inf- again, with the influencer thing, she's like an influencer. Like she's got her hands in like, her fingers in lots of pies. Yeah. I mean, as someone who has been freelance for the past six years, you say yes to a lot of weird stuff and you're just like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Furiously Googles how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that medium is just like another thing. Yeah, just casually thrown in. Yeah, she's like, I do this on the side on weekends at children's (laughs) birthday parties. Like, (laughs) this is my... (laughs) What struck me initially about watching the episode was that for me, it kind of really was playing off the whole trend of like what I want to call Insta-Wicca. Ooh, go on. So like, there's quite a... Like, obviously, there's a lot of social media. I for people to have like a social media presence right a lot of the time they want to have like a shtick or something that they do um same for like youtube instagram tiktok and stuff and i think there's a right. lot of like um young people who are kind of doing like very witchy things on youtube and instagram and stuff mm. i know that there's, there's yeah like i know a few youtubers and stuff who their whole all their channels are about like being a young witch and stuff and there's a lot of the kind of language that they use in this episode was really like, I think, reflective of that kind of trend. Sure. I mean, they have the Lavinia referring to Emily as a classic Sagittarius. Yes. So, and and also like when they come in, when they're like, um, 
you know, only bring positive energy into this space. Good vibes only into this space. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just so like, oh, that's kind of like, it is this kind of like pseudo occult. um, Oh, yeah. Kind of. And and it's fun. And I think it taps into that. Then what's authentic occult, Ben? (laughs) Well, oh, well, you do not want to get me started on authentic occult. Because oh I think True. authentic occult is not cutesy and fun. I think authentic occult is, um, yeah, like pretty deep, dark stuff. Fair. Yeah. I mean, because that's so, like, just for people listening who are thinking I'm being really weird, like, a big part of my academic background is looking at ancient religion and like modern survivals of ancient religion. Um, and that includes like, occult groups and stuff i spent a lot of time looking at looking at how like voodoo for example uh is a survival modern survival from africa and and same for hermetic magic which is basically a kind of renaissance reimagining of kabbalah and things like that so like there's that and then there's like the very modern idea of like wicca girl power feminism positive energy crystals candles that kind of thing. And I don't want to put that down because for a lot of people, it really is an empowering movement for them. But I think one of the things I liked about the episode is just that it, it without making, making fun of that, it mm-hmm. got fun out of that, if you see what I mean. It kind of, it kind of a bit oh, tongue-in-cheek yes. at like yes. these young women who are like, let's all like awaken our inner witch and have a seance. And right. they get all the candles out and all the crystals and they're sat in that circle. But it's amazing, isn't it? Because I couldn't tell where, because it started out like that and you're like, oh, it's just going to be like a little bit of fun. But then some legitimately supernatural shit happens. Right. Like all of a sudden (laughs) instruments in the like Dickinson living room start floating. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's actually kind of creepy. Yeah, it was. It, it It actually got a little bit dark then for a second. So what actually happened during this seance? Take, take so, us through it, Kyle. Take us through the seance. Okay, okay, okay. So we have, first of all, they are possibly visited by the ghost of Lavinia's cat, Millard Fillmore. <laughs> yes. But then, like, I don't know, apparently the spirit world doesn't like the idea of Emily Dickinson pursuing fame because that is the intention she sets at yes. the beginning. The other people go around and Lavinia says that She's conflicted because she thinks marriage is just a patriarchal patriarchal construct, and she doesn't yeah. think she believes in it, or he potentially doesn't even believe in monogamy. Yeah, I think she's kind of hinting at that, isn't she? Yeah, and Jane uh, is just hoping she doesn't lactate through her garments. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, a, they're getting that's... such good comedy out of Jane. I'm sorry. Like... <laughs> they really are like. And they, and they, this is what I mean. Like, they take this serious situation of this seance and, like, right. they depict how the different characters have different levels of seriousness towards it. Because Emily yes. is so earnest, you know, mm-hmm. she's like really in it to contact the spirit world. And, like, but you can tell that, like, for a lot of the other characters, like, this is just something they do occasionally for fun. And it's just like goofy. Yeah. Yeah. And they go around the table and, like, they've all got different, as you said, different, like, motivations for doing the seance. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is great. So, but then job. shit gets real. Then shit gets, <laughs> then shit gets very real. Yeah. And Emily goes to like, I believe, find the matches to like relight all the candles because they've blown out. Yeah. And the candles will go out. Nobody appears and yes. starts saying the poem again. And then he gets shot. Hmm. And it. I mean, are we thinking that this is more like a premonition? of the civil war than I'm anything else. Sure. <laughs> I mean, the actual seance scene itself is incredibly funny. I think it's one of the funniest scenes in Dickinson so far. Um, yeah. And actually I wanted to say like the third episode mm-hmm. of each season seems to or has, yeah. has been good. Like, cause the third episode last series was wild nights, wild right? nights. which was yes. really good. And they did a similar, it was a similar kind of event episode, wasn't it? Sit very mm-hmm. the same characters in the same space. Oh, that's true. Like it is it sort was, of like a house party episode. Yeah, and then like in this one with it's the seance, it's similar characters, but they've all changed right over time, and they're coming together and doing this seance. Um, but both mm. Wild Nights 
in season one and this episode mm-hmm. were so funny. Like, and, and just to say some of the things that happened during this, like, um, seance, like, in first seance, of all, yeah. yeah, like a lightning storm brews up basically yes. straight away. Which <laughs> is nowhere. also connected to Mrs. Dickinson's plot, which we will have to get into because yes. what the hell? And then as you said, <laughs> I'm it's into like, it. I know, yeah. And then, as you said, it's like the sounds of Lavinia's cat, which was hilarious. And then, who is it that starts singing? Um, someone starts playing the piano oh, as yeah. like a joke at first, but then the piano starts playing itself. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then, like, some people get nosebleeds and like yes. start rolling their eyes back and like shaking. It's creepy. And like suddenly the dark energy comes and it gets kind of creepy. I guess this is like this episode's version of where, you know, the opium hits and they all start dancing. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, okay, we're going to get weird with this one. Strap in. Oh, I, I did want to ask you have you ever been part of a seance or anything like that? Um, I've done like a Ouija board before. <gasps> have you? Yes, I have back in college. I, I have never touched a Ouija. I don't think I could touch a Ouija board. Yeah, it was fun. What did it tell you? It did tell us at one point that we should run or die. Um, so we didn't have to close <laughs> out our spirit session and run away. <laughs> I love how Which is why I'm still here. <laughs> you, were, you were like, oh, good advice. I'm going to run. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's pretty clear cut. No, I've done a Ouija board. I've never do- I don't think I've ever done like a proper seance before. Have you not? I mean, I have never done proper seance however i have witnessed well i've not participated but i have watched a seance um and it was quite boring and not much happened (laughs) and i don't believe that the person who was relaying the message was really relaying a message from the spirit world didn't seem like a proper medium no i think it was it was also in a christian art kind of christian spiritual context which was a bit Mm. weird um, interesting most christians don't believe in that kind of thing but it was it was a bit weird yeah huh all right but i loved the like scene design as well of the same yes like get, again using that space getting it dark having the, the instruments floating around i was into it and they were all like sat around the table and their costumes were great as well like every all the women are wearing like these white dresses with flowers in their hair and it's very like it is quite yes. witchy it is quite and witchy. We do have, it's not all women. We do have, I believe the character's name is Toshiaki. Oh, yeah, the, the Japanese, um, Japanese guy. Man, who, yeah. like, is funny because there was a Japanese man living in Amherst around this time, but his name was not Toshiaki. So I think we spoke briefly about this last yes. year, but wh- who was he? Who was so his name Japanese? was Nijima Joe. He came out of Japan at a time when it was like illegal without government express government permission to like leave japan right but he stowed away on a boat an american ship out of japan that went to shanghai and then caught another ship that brought him to boston and then he for some reason ended up in amherst so graduated from amherst college so that must be that must have been very unusual for him and very unusual for Everyone in Amherst, like... <laughs> They're all just like, okay, here's this guy. And he spent his time on the ship learning English. So, like... Wow, that's, that's impressive. I was about to say, I've been here longer uh, than he was on that ship, and I my Japanese is passable. So... <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's pretty amazing to, to do that. And then to be able to attend college as well. Right. And graduate <laughs> first, first Japanese exchange student, they like to say. Um, We also have, can we just talk about the Mrs. Dickinson subplot? Because it is another, like, odd ghost plot. Yeah. It's, like, like, strangely supernatural. um, Yeah. But also, she's horny. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's, because last episode she was trying to get laid with Mr. Dickinson, wasn't she? Because she was like, it's the cattle fair, and then then it just (laughs) didn't, like, happen, as you say. and then they kind of set it up at the beginning of the episode, don't they? Because yes, they have the whole thing about, yeah, she's in the bath. <laughs> oh, yeah. And she's like, who would have thought that I'd be having a bath? Like in, a lukewarm in, bath, a bath in, in, my- in home. Yeah. And she's like, how the times have changed. 
it has my favorite bit of the episode that's not related to the seance where Lavinia's like, can I get in after you? Because I went last last time and the water was really disgusting. And Mrs. Dickinson just goes, oh, it's already pretty disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Mrs. Dickinson as a character has like realized that she has nothing to lose now. So she's (laughs) she's just going off the rails a bit. Like, her kids don't need her anymore. Her husband doesn't need don't doesn't seem yeah, to need her anymore. They have a maid, and Mrs. Dickinson's just kind of left there, like without a real function in the family. In right. Many ways. Yeah, I mean, but the séance was kind of the event of the episode. Um, yes. But what do you think the crux, or like last time we spoke about Emily's continuing conflict over fame, and as mm-hmm. you said, like the séance is for her to try and come to grips with that. Right. What answer do you feel like she got from the seance? Ah, okay. So at the end of the episode, she goes and meets Samuel Bowles at Sue's house. Mm, Yes. Describes himself as a baller because he attends all the balls. And I was just like, oh, God, this character. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking, I really don't like this character. Um, and this was confirmed for me in this scene at the end. And the song that they use at the end is basically our final cue. I, um, cause I listen to super organism. It's the name of the band. Right. And the name of the song is everybody wants to be famous. Hmm. And I guess that includes Emily. So she is decided despite the spirit world giving a very clear answer <laughs> to her question, yes. that she's going to release a poem and get it published. Mm. And then mm. she hands him the poem, and it just sort of sits there. She's like, wait, I have to wait for it to get published? Yeah, it's, in fact, it's more than that, because he's almost dismissive, right? Like, he yep. spent the last two episodes kind of chasing her a bit. Mm-hmm. Um and then she finally comes to him and gives him the poem, and he just—he doesn't even read it, does he? He like he doesn't read it. He puts no, it on the. I'll add it to my couch. pile or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Oh, when I get to it." And she's just kind of left there, like, "Oh." And in that moment, I was like, "I knew I hated this character," <laughs> and I was right. He's a dick, and I feel like he's going to be like the big bad of the season. That's what I think. That's season what I think. Two. Yeah, big bad. Yeah. Mr. Dickinson yeah. was the was the patriarchal big bad of last season, and I think. And now we have Samuel. Bowles. Sam Bowles. He is the embodiment of media, like mass media of the time. So. Yeah, exactly. That's what he is, and 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 I think I want to talk a little bit about that as well, because like with the mm. whole seance thing, it's mm-hmm. like Emily is turning to, even though it was done in a very like modern, as I say, like like Insta Wicker way. Sure. It is kind of like Emily's turning, like she again is looking for a spiritual answer to a worldly question. Mm. And last season she had that relationship with death. Was that all in her imagination or was that actually her having some kind of like relationship with a spiritual entity outside Mm. of herself? And is this seance like another attempt by her to look to like outside forces right something beyond our world she just kind of assumes that the the spirits know more than she does and that they're going to give her like the correct answer but instead of being like oh i need to consult someone in my family or i need to talk to a friend or anything she's like no i know i need to or or even like instead of talking to sue she's like i need to do this seance well because she's tried speaking to sue and sue is pretty definitive about yeah, publish, that's true. Publish the poems. Yeah. So, apart from to say that the episode is really funny and yes. I quite enjoyed it, there's actually not a lot to the episode in a way. I think. Hmm. I, I think we ran into a similar thing with Wild Nights. That episode where it's funny and it's good, but once you start, there's not a necessarily as much thematic to stuff into. to pull out. Yeah. No. No. It's a fairly clear-cut episode in many ways. Mm. I was just on a technical note. Mm. My complaints about, or not complaints, but just sort of like feelings about the shutter angle and that weird motion blur that they have are gone. Mm. I don't know what they did, but 
suddenly the movement doesn't have that like hyper smooth thing that happens when you crank the shutter angle up to 360 degrees. Right. So thank you. I yeah. loved watching the dark scenes. Good job, guys. <laughs> yeah, and, and just as I said, like the whole atmosphere of the episode was very good. Mm. Um, I had a note here about the sound design, especially in the confrontation with nobody, which is just creepy. And I think a lot of that, like 90% of that is sound design. So yes. like, well done, sound team. Oh, 100%. This was creepy. <laughs> but then sound design it often is, I think, in horror films and, and TV mm. shows and things, sound is often much more important than, than visuals in terms of oh. building up tension. And a- Absolutely. I sound mean, is a chance for you to be very like subliminal in what you're doing, whereas it's harder to do that with visuals. Well, I thought we could do our first feature, which would be, speaking of seances, to mm. read our horoscopes. Classic Sagittarius. Classic. <laughs> yeah, me and Emily are the same sign. You are. Um, and I actually have a massive affinity for Sagittarians. I don't quite know why, but I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> so Sagittarius is a, is a special personality type. It's, it's what it is. <laughs> we, have, we have a uniqueness to us, I suppose. The thing is... You guys are great until you're not, and then you're the worst. <laughs> so. You are a Libra, aren't you? I am. Yeah, that's interesting as well. Um, <laughs> Me and uh, who did I discover was a Libra recently? Oh, Roxanne Gay is a Libra. So I'm in good company. Oh. I, I would like to say up front that I do not believe in astrology. Mm. I think that, well, I know that it grew out of medicine in the Middle Ages and then just like, never went away mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> i understand why people enjoy it because i do think it gives people a kind of mirror mm. to think about their life and their situations i think that the risk is like if you ascribe too much to the personality trait aspect right. of it it's very like it's prescriptive rather than descriptive so people sure. end up like trying to conform to what a horoscope tells them rather than just being themselves and also some people have this nasty habit where they'll do something really shitty and they'll be like but i was always going to do it because i'm x star sign i'm a capricorn and you're like that means nothing you still make a decision (laughs) like (laughs) don't hide behind your star sign like (laughs) (laughs) what can i say scorpio rising sorry (laughs) anyway and and well, and also talking about this, I would like to say that I am not just a normal Sagittarius. Oh no, mm. I am probably like a hyper Sagittarius because. Oh my God, are we doing full charts? Okay. Yeah. Well, we're not going to. Well, right. we can talk a bit about our charts. Let's do our three, so we can do our Sun, Moon, and Rising. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're like fine, whatever. Well, it's just that I've got like one, two, three, four, five. I've got five things in Sagittarius. Jesus Christ. I know. Anyway. So much. You go first. Tell tell us your sun, your moon, and your ascendant, isn't it? Yes. So my sun is in Libra. What does that mean? So Libras, we are all about social justice and aesthetics. Yeah, that makes sense. And also we are indecisive as hell. Oh, yes. See, actually, this is quite accurate to you. And now I'm remembering another Libra is um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So very good company. Yeah. Hmm. She seems to be decisive. So she does. Yeah. An evolved Libra is capable of seeing arguments from both sides and then picking the right one. So there you go. We aspire to being the AOCs of the world. Okay. Again, disclaimer. This is all hunkum, and you do not get any superpowers from having a star sign. But okay, that's cool though. I think, okay, I think that's... being an evolved Libra just means like being a grown up. Yes, I think <laughs> being that's an what... adult. I think like being an evolved an... whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like being, if you are a mature adult, then you will have the qualities of an evolved star sign. Right. Like that's what you would hope. What's your moon My then? My moon is Aquarius. Ooh, what does that mean? I'm like hyper emotional and feel my feelings very intensely. This uh, surprises nobody. 
No, I was going to say, this is like... <laughs> Anyone who has like, met me is just like, yep. Did you give like, did you speak to CoStar over the phone first before <laughs> they did your chart for you? Excuse me. <laughs> Please get this right. And then That's my cool. ascendant is... Which, your son is who you actually are, and your mm. ascendant is like who you present when you first meet people. Yeah. My ascendant is Scorpio, which is generally seemed as moody and judgmental again quite, this tracks quite, i was gonna say this is surprisingly accurate that's a bit creepy because like, this, going, these are like by the end of this i'm going to convert you to astrology this is like this is how i would i wouldn't call you judgy but i would tell people like oh like if he disapproves right and he disapproves you know like I when think, people like, first meet me i think they think i'm cold and judgmental but i'm just very guarded um <laughs> yes yeah that's true that's true that's weird because that is like really accurate to you i think mine's mm -hmm. a little less accurate yours is very okay. quite on point i would say <laughs> go on what's yours you're gonna make fun of me i just know you are my son is in sagittarius as as, as has been stated and as i understand it although i am not as up on all of this as you are it's supposed to mean that um I have strong, whether well, that I'm curious, restless, and independent, have strong ideas about meaning and right and wrong, and are interested in expanding my boundaries and, and living to be free. Like, freedom is very important to me, which is actually true to me, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I do value my personal freedom intensely. I think one of the things that I relate to Emily about is, you know, in, the quiet, in A Quiet Passion, where she's like, that's why I guard my independent, the independence of my soul, you know? Right, yes. And I think I've always felt very strongly that way as well. Like, I don't like to be told what to think and feel by anyone. <laughs> um, and then also here, because this app that we're using, CoStar, is quite, quite good. It has um, that my sun sign is in my second house, meaning that I feel the need to distinguish myself from others through material possessions. Um. Ooh, and I, do you? I, well, I am quite a classy bitch, so maybe. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like I, I do like I do I do like my expensive things, um, but I don't know if it's because I feel I need to like distinguish myself from others. Mm. I don't know if that's mine. Motivation. Mine says that I need to distinguish myself from others through privacy, secrets, and introspection. <laughs> As someone who has spent the past year locked away from the world, I'm ready to end that and do something else. It's time to change. <laughs> and then my son's in Sagittarius, but my moon also is in Sagittarius. Jesus. I oh, know. So fire. So the moon is supposed to like master it, be in charge of your feelings, right? And you're like, yes, deeper emotional landscape, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and my moon is Sagittarius, meaning that my emotional self is restless, self-questioning, and independent. Um, that I hide my sensitivities, uh, and that because it's in my second house, I find security and safety again through money and material possessions, <laughs> which I don't think is true, but. <laughs> fine that's what this app is telling me about myself i guess that's who i am <laughs> see this is how it happens like you, <laughs> this is the, this is what i'm telling you people this is dangerous you walk down this road and then you're like i'm a materialistic bitch now <laughs> <laughs> the app told me so. Say so that's who i am this is like myers-briggs but worse um <laughs> <laughs> I am an INFJ. I don't care what you say. Oh, I'm, a, I'm an INFP, which I think is... Ooh. So we're quite close. We are terms, quite this close. is probably why we're still friends. Um, <laughs> and then my ascendant, and you're going to hate this as well. My ascendant is Scorpio. Um, oh. Yeah. So we have the same ascendant. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. And it says that, that I come across as passionate, incisive, cunning, strategic, and perceptive. Mm. Um, but that my intense, tenacious drive can often be intimidating towards others. Um, which I don't think is accurate to me. I was like, for me, that's pretty accurate. I am a workaholic who is trying to fix that. You can be quite <laughs> intimidating sometimes. Yeah. And, I and I have to be like... It's like sometimes I feel like you have the Protestant work ethic 
whereas I have like the work ethic <laughs> of a retired nun. Like I'm just like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm just like, like it will happen when it will happen. Like it's <laughs> I did grow up in the military. So I think that, yeah. You know, that probably didn't do me any favors. Whereas I grew up to a life of privilege and not doing anything. So Oops. literally though, you should see me at work though. I'm like, it will happen when it happens. Like <laughs> stop bothering me. Like Oh my god, I would fucking hate that. I'm literally the person who is like <laughs> Okay, so, we yeah. can time this down to this long and then I want to do other st- like get on the schedule, follow the schedule, get it done, and then we're out. No, that doesn't. But then I work with the homeless, and they also are very much like, it will happen when it happens. Yeah. So, it, so it's all just like, meh, like... Whereas wow. I work in film production, which is run like a civilian military uh, endeavor. <laughs> oh my god. I, can, I actually can. Yeah, do you know what? That's, that's probably an accurate comparison. That's yeah. Probably, no, um, me trying to explain it to my parents, I'm just like, it's a military operation. And they're like, oh. They're like, that makes sense to us. Like, we, they, they can really the language we can understand. That's, that's really funny. That's really funny. But yeah, so I, yeah, my, my chart is basically like nearly everything is Sagittarius. I think the only thing that's not, oh, either Scorpio or Sagittarius, the only thing that's not is Saturn, which is an Aquarius. Oh, interesting. And then everything else. Oh, I am looking at our compatibility in case oh, you were yeah. wondering. What does it say? Uh, we're pretty good. Oh. Ba- basic identities, moods and emotions, intellect and communication, sex and aggression, and sense of responsibility are all good. Oh. So, hey. Uh, but we have different philosophies uh, of life, apparently. And we would never fall in love with each other. I think that that makes sense. I think we've had this discussion where we like reenacted what a road trip would be like between the two of us. Oh my god, that was like <laughs> that because I feel like we lived a whole relationship in like twenty minutes or something. And it was everyone crazy. around us was so confused. <laughs> they were all like, "Oh my god, what's happening here?" I think we went through the entire like arc of a marriage in like twenty minutes, and it was like- really, really unhealthy and destructive. And it was just like, this is why we can never date each other. We know now. We have the answer. We've seen it. We have experience. It was like a, it was like a terrible premonition. You hear that? That's the sound of the bullet we both dodged by not <laughs> dating each other. <laughs> Friendship has made us much better, I feel. Right. I was going to say, it's a different form of love. It's a friendship yeah. love. Exactly, exactly. Because like you are one of the few people whose funeral I would cry at. Oh, um, that's so. how very gothic of you. Thank you. <laughs> also, just revealing what a sociopath I am. Where I'm, <laughs> most people, no, I'm not going to cry. Like, I'm not going to cry at that. You'd be lucky if I attend. Your attitude towards the, attending other people's funeral is the same as your attitude towards work. I'll get there when I get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a wizard is never late. Like that is. <laughs> I am always on time. Everyone else is just right. early. Um, exactly when you intend to. Exactly. So I, what I think we should do is I propose that we read our horoscopes and mm. then we feed back on them next episode. For our next recording? Okay. Yeah, that's okay. what we should do. I can do that. So do you want to go for your horoscope as of today? Sure. Yeah. All right. So. I am having my my little note says there is nothing wrong with you, which always good to have that reinforced. I have power in thinking and creativity, pressure in spirituality and sex and love. I've never had sex and love in a power position since I installed CoStar. Um, and then I'm having trouble with routine, social life, and self, which makes sense because I am currently working the graveyard shift on a production. So my routine and social life have been thrown out the window. But my actual horoscope says, <clears throat> Today, there's a little person in your head saying that it is self-centered to stand away from the pack. It's not. You just haven't accepted that your coldness is a defense mechanism. 
not a strength. Take it slow. Try not to create unnecessary distance. It can be hard to move beyond your shyness when you feel shy. You're not a bad person for being shy. What it said about like, but wasn't it a bit self-contradictory? Because it's like, don't be afraid to stand away from the pack, but also like, don't create unnecessary distance. So, what does that it's, mean? Like, it's it's not self-centered of me to stay away from the pack. I haven't accepted that my coldness is a defense mechanism. So, in other words, like I'm trying to hide myself by standing away from the pack instead of like engaging. This is such. This is this is how it happens. Like people, like you're just like <laughs> you're just like going back and you're like justifying this random computer generated crap. Oh, someone had to have written this, right? They have content no. writers. They have content writers at CoStar. Please, I think they do, but I think that it's probably like they write just like a few sentences, and then I think it gets stitched all together. Oh, sure. To yeah, make, like your something mildly coherent. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I will try to not create unnecessary distance as I social distance from everybody. Like, thanks. <laughs> what does mine say? Um, yeah. Okay, right. So, <clears throat> my, like, one line, pissy one-liner, <laughs> says, kill your personal brand. <laughs> Which I don't know what to make out of that, because I didn't even know I had a personal brand. You're uh, such an... Ben's an influencer now. Oh my god, I would be an awful influencer. Because I would hate my followers. I'd be like, he's still watching? Why? Go like, away. Go away. Um, yeah, it says, kill your personal brand. And then it says, power in routine and self. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says, trouble with thinking and creativity, spirituality, social life, and sex and love. Wow, you're having a lot of trouble. Yeah, but like, my sex and love is actually pretty good at the moment. Woo! <laughs> and my social life is like not bad and thinking i think spirituality is accurate like i am struggling at the moment with spirituality mm. that's, that's true and then mm. it says um so then the actual like horoscope thing it says is um okay are you hiding from discomfort today you're invalidating feelings that don't correspond with how you think you should be feeling it isn't easy to accept your role in the situation when you forget the power you have to change it why are you so much harder on yourself than you are on anyone else? Breathe in and silently ask yourself a question. Breathe out. Listen for the answer, but do not give it to yourself. Like, this is like some... What does any of this mean? Like, I, <laughs> none of it makes sense. Like, ask yourself a question, but listen, listen to the answer, but don't give it to yourself. What does that mean? Someone the, explain The that. universe will provide the answer if you just open yourself up to it, Ben. That's all. <laughs> I, d- I refuse. I refuse. This is so weird. Then it says, do, stomping, instant coffee, cold shower, don't, slouching, camouflage, grayscale. What does that mean? Ooh. Okay, I didn't read my do's and don'ts. Come on, what are your do's and don'ts? My my dues were coffee shops, not going to do that. Uh, waffles and leg warmers. I guess what? I'm wearing heat. I'm wearing heat tech at the moment, so sure. Mm, yeah, right. <laughs> Don't vices on guard and restriction. Oh, that's very Don't, like. Kosar is telling me to throw all COVID, the COVID restrictions out the windows. <laughs> yeah, just like, fuck it, just go out. <laughs> my horoscope <laughs> told me to. And then under that, it says, like, says to me, like, practice coming to terms with your contradictions with a water sun. It says, you are punishing yourself right now. Remember that running means running away from yourself, too. Take some time to document all the ways you stunt your own growth and share your findings with a water sun. Resilience is their specialty. And it says, like, learn from water suns, but avoid air moons. Oh, Whenever I'm I an air moon. <gasps> Watch out. Oh my god, I was going to say, like, every time I meet someone, I'm going to be like, are you an air moon? Because we can't be friends. Oh no. Yeah, Aquarius is an air one. Whoops. (laughs) Watch out for me. Yeah, no, I'm a double air water sign. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That That explains why you're so wet. Why I am both wet and constantly being (laughs) blow-dried. 
Well, that was an interesting horror. <laughs> I don't. I feel like I learned nothing. Next time, we just need to. Someone needs to bring some real witchcraft because that was rubbish. I was like, next time, I'm going to do a tarot card reading on you. Oh no, it's going to be awful. Yes, I cleansed my deck and everything. I'm going to do a past, present, and future reading on you. It's fine. Oh my god, that would be okay. We'll do that. We'll do that next time. I did it once with a guy who I was like dating, and then he never responded to. Me. Well, no, he told me that I was too close to home, and I never heard from him again. <laughs> I think he thinks I'm a witch. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if that's enough to scare away a man, then like I probably didn't want to be dating him. You know. I was going to say, just wait till he sees your bookshelf. Embracing my inner Lavinia. I think that that little to get back to the uh, show. Um, yes, <laughs> Dickinson. This is where we really um, test our fan base. <laughs> if you've stuck through till now, guys, good job. Um, <laughs> but no, like to get back to the episode, like I think that is like Lavinia's story is shaping up to really interesting because we talk about all the time how it's weird that she didn't get married in real life. Like Emily yeah. didn't get married in real life, but we can kind of see that she was a bit eccentric and there may have been reasons mm-hmm. why that was the case. Um, but I like that we're kind of seeing this. They're trying to explain or explore why Lavinia didn't go in for marriage. Um, right. And the broadening of her horizons after last year when she was so like... Dead last set season. On it. Yeah, exactly. To the extent where she put on uh like American Indian headdress. Yeah, yep. the native yeah. Like that's never forget. That's crazy. That was um, kind of the nadir of Lavinia plots in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I still stand by some of my criticism of season one. <laughs> really? I remember you saying you took it all back, but now you're thinking you took back it in all your... back. No. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I well... have the recording. <laughs> So does everyone. Um, That's true. <laughs> Elena Smith has it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> She's going to need it for that lawsuit at some point. <laughs> that cease and desist letter is coming. <laughs> I can't wait for the for co-star to tell me about that impending doom. <laughs> Trouble with creativity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, so I do quite like how Lavinia's all like, I don't think I want to get married. And I think that's mm. really powerful because... Um, Mm-hmm. Even in today's society, we we put a lot of stock in relationships. Um, in fact, today I think we do it more so than ever, really. And there's so little patience for people living alternative lifestyles that focus on their singleness. You know, right? Like friends my friends are like, probably more important to me at this point than like a romantic relationship. Yeah, and I think we've talked a little bit about like the 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 shallowness of our understanding of friendship. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Or non-romantic relationships. Yes. Like, today people put the romantic relationship on a pedestal as being the pinnacle of human relationships. Right. Um, But, like, it hasn't been that way throughout human history. I mean, Mm. like, the ancient Greeks saw friendship as being a more superior form of love. Mm. Um, And if you look at, like, Christian tradition, for example, the monastic tradition... There were a lot of people for whom their community was the more, most supreme form of love to them, you know, mm-hmm. rather than some kind of romantic attachment. And then in other cultures, marriage, marriage is a social compact you enter, but it doesn't necessarily have to be like this romantic love romantic. story. Right. There's a certain amount of like logistics in marriage that is often not spoken of nowadays Mm, yes i feel like we have both a immature understanding of both relationships yes yeah to our detriment because a lot of people get married now without actually thinking because people now only care about their sexual and emotional compatibility but they don't really care about things like financial compatibility or religious compatibility or social compatibility or like scheduling compatibility you know (laughs) my god i've made the joke about how my love language is google calendar (laughs) and i stand by it (laughs) 
that's, that's that's accurate though to our times yeah, like <laughs> like but yeah and i think like emily's this is the whole debate about whether emily was a lesbian or not right it's like she wrote mm. all those affectionate things to sue um mm. but are we misinterpreting that because we don't understand how people wrote to each other and spoke right. to each other about that it's like because if you read the letters like Queen Anne sent to the Duchess of... We um, have already covered this territory. Already, yeah, I'm going to stop you. You're right, you're right. You're <laughs> if right, you want right. to hear that, go listen to Wild Nights where you rant about the favorite for like 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. But anyway, my point is, is like, there's, to, get, to, get, to get back on topic, no, like, I guess what I'm saying is like, I like that Lavinia as a character mm. is having this moment where she's acknowledging that there are other ways to live other than through the lens of marriage and by extension romantic relationships and it's interesting i hadn't made the connection up until now but it's interesting that like we're sort of seeing that reflected in mrs dickinson yes in this yeah. like she wants this thing out of her marriage and like her partner isn't able to provide it like she wants to have sex and it's just not happening yeah and whether that's an issue of communication like, it is an issue of communication, because um, she doesn't want to say it. No. But, like, we sort of see a ghost of Christmas future, if you will. If Lavinia is to get married, then, like, that's She may what end happens. up being yeah. just like Mrs. Dickinson. And, right. um And that's what the guy, the lodger... Shipley. Shipley, who wants to marry her, that's what he wants. He wants a Mrs. Dickinson. Yes. But Lavinia, perhaps, is not sure she wants that for herself. No. Which I appreciate. That's what yeah, I think it's an interesting exploration of like what does Lavinia want and what sort of expanding our idea of what a fulfilling relationship could be. And I think that also goes towards a little bit how Emily and Sue are not having a conventional mm. relationship themselves um, mm-hmm. in the show. Like they, Sue is now married to Emily's brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems quite determined to make the marriage work. He clearly does love Sue. Yes. Um, and Sue loves his his money. So it's it's. I guess that's what makes the Dickinsons so revolutionary. Is their... because then we do have like Austin later in life in the real world, like mm. having an open rela- or engaging with someone who is having an open relationship. It's weird, isn't it? Because we think we're so modern now, but then you look back at like people in the 1800s and you're like, oh, like they were doing some pretty, pretty out there crap. And then you remember, oh, this was all like before Victorianism kind of ruined it all. Well, like, okay, I want to sort of push against that because as I've been, as I've alluded to like i'm writing a script set in the victorian era and like Mm. that image that we have is actually pretty inaccurate where like yeah there were restraints put on society but also like people got away with some weird shit in the victorian era Mm. sexually and socially Um, i'm sure that's true yeah yeah so like the image that we have of it being fairly restrictive has roots and truth but also like they found ways to push against it so like again i think we sort of have this shallow understanding of what it was actually like perhaps yeah i I just Mm. i think like if you look at the generation after the end of the victorians if you look at the edwardians for example edwardians sure yeah they were very like critical of the victorian period Mm. um and i think that sentiment has has to have grown out of something you know well, I mean, um, aren't we doing the same thing to the boomers? Oh, 100%. Like, I fucking hate yeah. the boomers. <laughs> I was like, God, get out of the way. Uh, no, like, oh. our generation is a lot. Like, millennials are a lost generation, 100%. Like, the, the Gen Zers or whatever, like, they're, they're, they, they are already eclipsing us in terms of, like, educational and job, job prospects and really like the millennials are just kind of we're, we got we're screwed we did yeah yeah i mean we had a financial crisis i mean but can you imagine like gen x like uh, no one speaks about them no no it's true yeah well gosh ooh. i really yep, don't know so. where to go from here i know <laughs> just like what do we do um should we read the poem yeah should we <laughs>
This is our delirium episode. You're welcome, everybody. Literally. It literally yeah. is. There's two All poems, right. aren't there? So should we read one each? I think you should read the long one, because I've read most of the poems this season. First poem that we have here from Emily is The Only Ghost I Ever Saw. The only ghost I ever saw was dressed in Mechlin, so he wore no sandal on his foot and stepped like flakes of snow. His mane was soundless like the bird, but rapid like the roe. His fashions quaint, mosaic, or haply mistletoe. His conversation seldom, his laughter like the breeze that dies away in dimples among the pensive trees. Our interview was transient, for me himself was shy. And God forbid I look behind since that appalling day. Did I manage to do it without fucking up or did I fuck up? No, you nailed it. Oh, well yeah. oh, I, was, I was left speechless by your no i was actually i was thinking about it is it's... this is this a christmas poem i was going to say i had mentioned like the ghost of christmas future before this feels mildly christmassy it does the mistletoe I mean, and yeah. ghosts and and flakes of snow yeah and it talks about the row like the, the the row is like a deer isn't it because it says, but rapid like the row. I mean, Christmas time is a traditional time for ghost stories, more so than Halloween. Like, I think Halloween has, has eclipsed in popular culture Christmas, mm. but actually, traditionally, Christmas is more of a time for of ghost spirit. stories. Yeah, especially mm. around the, well, it's more the solstice than anything, but Christmas falls close enough. So, yeah, and I think that would have been more prevalent back in Emily's time as well, because that was kind of before halloween became such a big thing i think halloween was around then i want to say it started in the 1700s uh, was more of like the autumn harvesty angle and less of the like yes. angle. yeah yeah i think so and it was still a christian quite a christian festival then i mean it comes halloween comes from ireland originally and then it kind of spread to north america yeah, so it says here, almanacs of the late 18th and 19th century give no indication that Halloween was widely celebrated in North America. Mm. Uh, it was not until the 19th century that Halloween became a major holiday in America. Okay. Um, mostly confined to the immigrant communities, um, including the, basically the Irish community. But that means that when Emily was alive, Christmas mm. would have been a time for ghost stories. So, mm -hmm. And it's, this doesn't seem like a scary ghost either. No, I was going to say he doesn't seem scary, but... It's still scared her. Yes, because yeah, because she says, "And God forbid, I look behind." Since that appalling day, like yeah, it's a description of him that makes him seem fairly benign. Yeah, and they speak with each other, though we don't hear what that conversation actually is about. And he laughs, his laughter he like the breeze that dies away in dimples among the pensive trees. I mean, but she does yeah. see a ghost, or maybe she's she does. A ghost. Yeah, she sees nobody. Yeah. And, and, and he does another... have this, the Mechlin that, that... Oh, yes, he does. That's mentioned in the poem. Yeah. So they dressed him according to this poem. I mean, this poem, again, is in ballad stanza, so, you, so it could be sung um, if, it, if we wanted to. Right. Um, I'm not going to. Don't worry, everyone. But yeah, that's, that's, it's another like ballady one, which, again, has a kind of Christmas feel to it. Maybe I will sing this at Christmas. And it's quite lighthearted, I feel. Until that ending. Yeah, like, but then is it, but is it really scary or is it kind of faux horror? How do you mean? Because it could be like, it could be funny to be like, oh, and God forbid I look behind since that's a falling day. Oh. <laughs> do you see <laughs> what I mean? Like, so. Sure, like, sure. I just assumed it was the fact that she had seen a ghost at all that like has scared her. Yeah, um, but, but it, true, could, it be could be like, a bit more like tongue in cheek. Yeah, exactly. Since the whole thing is uh, not particularly haunting. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I feel like. I feel like she's written about this ghost and she's like, oh, I saw a ghost, but actually it was okay. He left and my life goes on. <laughs> yeah. I've got some commentary here. Oh, I found the, it's, it's the bee blog. Do you remember we, we found like that blog about bees? And I'm on the exact same one. Are you actually the prowling bee? Yeah. Susan Kornfeld has posted here what does she say she said i find the rhyme scheme somewhat lacking fuck off susan 
<laughs> okay, you write a poem. God. She talks about how the rhyming scheme of the last stanza, like because shot, like it, it is rhyming the whole way through up until that last stanza mm. with shy and day. Yes. I feel like that has to have been done intentionally because it is meant to sort of throw you off. Yeah, like, I think so too. I, the I think poem I... is benign up until that last moment, and then you're just supposed to be like, wait. What? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is that. I think it is that. I think it is deliberate. I, I can't yeah. imagine that Emily Dickinson would have had a f- hard time finding something to rhyme with shy. Right. If it's what she wanted to do. Um, and also, I think it's a very, it's, it's quite a common poetic technique now to break your rhyme mm. at the end mm-hmm. of a poem. Yeah, I like that. That's a, it's a good poem. I like it. I think that yeah. it's the kind of thing I would put in a Christmas card. So well done, Emily. That's, that's one down for Hallmark. One to Emily versus her in her battle against Hallmark. And then what's the other one? Do you want to read us the other short one? All right. This one is very fast. Witchcraft was hung in history, but history and I find all the witchcraft that we need around us every day. Hmm. That is um, an interesting one. I like it. I, I, I like, like it as well. I, I don't know what to make of it. I like uh, the idea that you try to stop witchcraft in history, like try to get rid of it. And you can, you know, witches were hung. They make reference to the witches of Salem in the episode. And mm. yet like witchcraft persists. And I think there's something cool in that. We find all the witchcraft we need around us every day. Well, it depends what you think witchcraft is, what you imagine it to mean to people. I mean, that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? In many right. ways is, is witchcraft a form of empowerment, self-empowerment. So yeah, it's, it's very... I don't really know what to make of the poem, to be honest. Because she's saying also history finds witchcraft. Right, history well. finds it too. I think like there's something about no matter how hard you try to erase it, it's still there and it's still present. Is Emily saying that she practices witchcraft, that she, that she mm-hmm. has a kind of witchy habit, as it were? With all of her, her little plants and incantations and things. I mean, we know she struggled with like formal Christianity. Mm. So maybe she found solace in a, you know, a confluence of the two, both formal Christian religion and witchcraft. I don't think witchcraft. I mean, you have to be very careful though, because witchcraft back then was not. A religious movement and it was and it definitely was not a there were no like communities of witches walking mm-hmm. around back mm-hmm. in the 1800s like that's mm-hmm. not you know so it's not like would have right and i'm not saying like oh she yeah. that she actually was hanging out with the other people of amherst and like having seances like they do in this episode like no, openly no. practicing witchcraft no no but also, I mean, like, there's no tradition for her to, no tradition of witchcraft, really, for her to learn, if you see what I mean. Mm, okay, I see, I see. So it's, it's just like, it's what she it's imagines, me. it's mm. whatever Emily imagined witchcraft to mean. Because this is also before the, like, old feminist idea of reclaiming the idea of a witch. As, like, empowered womanhood. Mm. Yeah. Gotta get my hands on that Emily Dickinson's gothic book. A hundred percent you do, yeah. It'd be <laughs> That'll really be where the answer is. Yeah, definitely. <sighs> that would be really interesting. All right. Shall zero. we loaves of bread it? Zero on the kitty count. Was it zero on the kitty count? Well, I was going to ask, are we counting the ghost of her cat as yes, a cat? Yes, we are. I think we are. Yes. So so I'm plus one that. for the kitty count. That puts us at five? Two. Two for the season, for the season. For the, the season reset. two, and then like yeah. totally five. Yeah. Dead cats count as well. Dead cats count. <laughs> Dead cats. Next time there's like a civil rights movement and there's like a parade <laughs> or something, I'm going to march, but with like a billboard that says dead cats count. <laughs> and, and everyone will be like, what are you talking about? And I'll be like, if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll be <laughs> like, if you, it's not for me to explain. <laughs> you should just know. All right. Loves of bread. Um, I'm going to give it, the episode is really funny, and I think that 
it has a lot it's a great set piece at the center of it mm-hmm. um, and every character has a bit of time to shine so yes. i'm going to give it i'm going to give it a solid seven loaves of bread oh wow okay i am going to give it seven and a half i think mm. it's good i laughed um i loved the atmosphere i feel like i mean we've discussed how there's a little less going on thematically yes than is normal um but it's getting us ready for what's to come yeah and it and it moved it it moved the wheels of plot forward a bit yes and in an entertaining manner emily is gonna try to get published here we go and with that it is time to bid you all good night um you good night us. not yet kyle Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you can contact us at our email address, which is edictsonedicts at gmail.com, all lowercase. We do love receiving emails. And if you send us an email, I can almost guarantee that you will be mentioned on the podcast. Yes, we will definitely respond a lot. A hundred percent. You will be opening up a portal to hell if you knew mouth <laughs> hell being a stream of consciousness email from kyle um <laughs> including a horoscope correct get ready you be careful what you wish for <laughs> i am fully capable of doing it <laughs> right and so yes thanks for listening guys oh my god <laughs> this is the most i don't even know what we just did <laughs> <laughs>